Welcome to Leadership Bites with myself, your host, Guy Bloom. This is a leadership podcast where I have conversations with colleagues, I chat with guests, and sometimes they'll be just me talking. You can connect with me at livingbrave.com. And when you enjoy the episode, subscribe and please tell everyone. Nick, it is fantastic. And I've been really pleased to get you on this episode. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast Leadership Bites. It's fantastic to have you here. My pleasure. My pleasure. And so I know who you are. What's your focus? How do you define yourself uh, in the world? Which is a big statement, I know, but uh, maybe not at a metaphysical level, but just in terms of your your outputs. What do you do and where do you put your focus? Well, uh, (laughs) defining oneself is terribly dull. Um, So I'll go do something different. Hang about. I'm just going to, I'm going to look for some words. Stay there. I'll be back. Okay. Um, (laughs) I didn't, I suddenly thought there's, oh, there was a way that I described myself um, when asked um, uh, occasionally. And, um, and it was, (laughs) these, I will come up with some words. Um, I just want you to come back to the interview at some point. Oh, I will do that. I'm, I'm only looking, I'm looking so I don't put the thing over the camera just so I don't look a complete uh, ignoramus. Uh, but strangely enough, the way that, you know, like I'm, f- I'm known as a filmmaker, I guess. I got this series called Soul Biographies. I, I look deep at the human condition, but I'm not trying to understand it. I'm trying to capture it. And uh, I remember a little while ago, someone said a very, asked a very similar question uh, in an interview. And I just read them these words, which I wrote, um, which described the way that I was with the world really with people in the world and certainly behind the camera and uh, they were called the glorious ignoramus and this is how the words go and that probably defines me as good as anything else uh, i know i probably shouldn't say this but i will so it's called the glorious ignoramus and it goes are you going to come back are you going to come no, back? I've, I've got it here oh oh well i'll just read it out okay that's fine and then my eyes won't flick across the screen and that's all right we look, look um kind of strange and then i'll i'll come back So they're called the Glorious Ignoramus, and it goes, I don't know, but I know that I don't know. I love that I don't know, that I can never know for sure. So I've stopped looking to understand you or convince you, and now finally I can see you. I'm a Glorious Ignoramus. (laughs) And so, you know, that's my take. Essentially what I do always is to sit with people and sometimes I've got a camera rolling sometimes I don't I don't say much normally I never have any questions so I'm very comfortable just sitting with anyone and saying nothing that's you know often that's how you see someone and it's a trick we we never seem to do or sell them like who would ever go on a podcast that didn't have many words in it over a period of time but what I what I observed from behind the camera, and I've done this probably sixteen years, um, all the time. So I'm always sitting with people, making these human portraits, deep, deeply profound human portraits, where someone would come with something to say, and I would usually say, "Well, let's not say that. Let's just sit here for a while and not tell me what you think the world needs to hear." 
but let's wait until almost the words come to you. They find you and they're original and you're lost in them. You don't even know quite what you're going to say. You don't know what words are going to be this side of the full stop, let alone the far side of the full stop. That's interesting. And you will reveal yourself or something of yourself when you do that. And I find that has such a an originality and, and, and feel to it. Um, and you can see. Mm. Really get the sense of someone. Silence is... Um... It's a fascinating thing as a as a developer of people, a leadership developer, be it one-to-one coaching or working in teams or whatever it is, when it comes to silence, it is one of, I've discovered now being 51, it probably took me many, many decades before I fully realized it, the, the strength in what is considered often a vulnerability of just silence as in if you're not speaking is it because you don't have the answer if you're not speaking is it because you're not leading you know are you unsure therefore you're staying quiet there's a lot of perceived vulnerability i think in in silence yeah i um well i i'd been trying to think about you know, like I spend a lot of time silently. Like I've even, I remember filming someone with an audience of about a hundred people watching the image coming out the camera. Hour and 47 minutes without a word. Just without even breaking eye contact. And it wasn't a staring contest. It was just sat there. Mm. And there were no words that could add to anything. And, and so it gives you this capacity to take this extraordinary journey uh, I'd say inside, but it might even be outside. I don't know. Um, what I realized was important about that was that, well, here's a way of describing it. Years ago, I mean, many, probably two decades ago, I stumbled upon an explanation of the human mind and how it worked. And suddenly, many of my decisions that I'd taken came into sharp focus, and I understood why. Like, I ran... I was managing director of a Mintel company and, uh, in London and, uh, and did other things as well. I even got chief exec of Hayes at one time, for four, resigned on the fourth day um, because I suddenly realized it, this isn't my life. It's, not, it's a great, fantastic job, just not for me. And I've been taking these decisions and I realized that you, your, your mind was programmed and you could reprogram it and have things happen. You know, essentially thoughts become things. Uh, as one of my good friends is forever saying out in the world. And I set a business up to do it. And I remember I'm pretty good at it and, you know, helping people reprogram the mind and get better results, except I set this business up to do it. And there were about 50 people laid out on a carpet in a hotel in Euston in London. And I was hit by this sharp stabbing pain almost. And if it had words, it, it said, you can never do this again. And I knew exactly why, because there's no liberation in it. And so then I kind of wandered the world, I guess, a bit, and I ended up taking up a camera. And I wasn't looking to pick a camera up, it just found me. I was sitting quietly in a hotel in Hoban, the Chancery Court. And suddenly, out of left field, out of no 
provocation at all, no visual provocation. I wasn't thinking about it, nothing. The idea to pick a camera up, you must pick a camera up, consuming with no doubt. And it was just a knowing, so I kind of followed that. Um, as I was thinking about, uh, you know, this kind of, well, what about this mind program thing? Surely you can create the world you want. I realized that there was this grand human predicament and I've, I've observed this so often. And this grand human predicament uh, is terrifying. You know, and if we were, we were thinking about living brave, I think anyone who goes and starts to explore into the heart of this is, is as courageous as it gets, I think. And it goes something like this. There you are. The, like, the biggest illusion is that you and I, Guy, are, are different. We're separate. We're not of the same thing. And so this human predicament we're in, this human experience, is one of loneliness, really. You know, like we, do, we, we don't feel like we're part of it. Everything around us tells us that, reflects it back. Like um, anything from religion to schooling to parental guidance, everything just says, well, you've got to become, you know, that you've got to become your best self. You, you've got to do this, you've got to do that. Why? I don't know, to get through the gates of Nirvana or heaven or some cultural equivalent. And so the whole journey is about becoming. And why? Because you yearn for something, to belong. I think that's as deep as I could get. You yearn to just be a part of it with no condition, to not have to fight for your place but you're fighting for your place. And so we all set off on this kind of almost endless journey of, of self-development almost, you know, to get better, to become. And everything, once again, it just always replicates it. You can be this, you can be that. You feel that about yourself. Um, and it's not true. And so you're on this perpetual journey but whatever you do, you, you get there and you go, well, that's not it. There's still, I'm still missing something. And the rectification of it is that there is nowhere to go and you always belonged. There was never any condition to it. There was never anything you had to do to earn your place because you were a part of it anyway. And... There's no search, there's no outward, there's no place you can go. It's not a geographical journey. I, I, I realize that. L largely, I always realize that, but certainly sitting behind the camera, very still, filming people this close up, you know, physically and metaphorically as well, using silence, really. And I wasn't using it, I just couldn't think of a question I wanted to ask. I would just sit there. And suddenly someone would come into sharp focus. And what was really coming into sharp focus was whoever sat in front of my camera. There was this, this overwhelming sense that we were the same, that, that this person belonged and there was no condition. That's kind of all I ever wanted to say to someone. I was like, oh, that's, that's so strange. That's just weird. I don't understand it, but I can feel it. And then often the other person would feel it and there was this sense of liberation. So where their words came from were not 
from behind the defences of the story of themselves or the need to push the world in that way or to tell someone about what it is they were doing. It just, the words just came. And I noticed in edits that those words were full of charge. They were just like, it doesn't matter what they were talking about. They could be talking about watching paint dry on a wall. Um, but it was intoxicating somehow. You know, there was some life in those words. And it was all pointing to this one one thing to me, that we belong and there was no condition ever. And there was never any must in becoming your best self. Uh, and I think there's something in that. And I'm, I'm haunted by that. And I'm driven by, well, kind of driven. I'm not driven. That seems true to me. And there's so much wasted energy in people's lives on always trying to become something, become better, uh, as, as a, not at a skill or a thing. I think that's, you know, that's the, the stuff of life. That's the physicality of life. But y your sense of self, always trying to justify, always trying to um, uh, be acceptable in the eyes of other people. And I don't think it's necessary. I think there comes a point where you just realize that you're okay. And I'm I'm kind of really taken by that, not idea, but by that experience, because I see it so often. I see people trying to understand it. I go, but surely there must be something that I got to do, because everyone's always told me that. That's what I believe to be true. Um, and I realize that the camera has this amazing capacity to help someone see themselves as they are without the need for anything as they've always been this essential part of oneself and I've tried to avoid it a lot because it's let's face it it's weird it's kind of strange it doesn't make any sense as such where well, you can think it doesn't live well as an idea but it's extraordinary as an experience and it's utterly simple and um, utterly terrifying as well because one has to surrender the control of everything and then there you are you you've seen you've seen what it is you are and you've seen what it is you're a part of and so I you know like I've uh, I make films from that place so it's it's terribly discombobulating for people because they get there and they think, oh, and it's probably got a set of questions. How do we start? And you go, well, we'll just sit here, see what finds us. So I'm, there's a lot in what you've said to um, lots of conversations, I think. Um, I have a sense of, I have a sense of our relationship with ourself. I have a sense of the, 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 that Buddhist perspective of letting go of wanting to be maybe more or want more. And actually the relationship is with you. And if you can, the less you can want, the more you can be focused on just the truth of what you are and what you're about. 
I can't wait. Uh, this, this is this is my filter it's going through not the one that you necessarily sort of offered and i and i sense in terms of the having watched some of your videos in the past one in particular which i'll just reference because it's the one i know and i know you have a great body of work is you know back in the day we we sat around the campfire and the the tribe contributed to the, the narrative of the day and brought the history of the village or of the the, the the eons into the conversation and it was it wasn't about being an influencer it was about being part of a community or having a relationship with your own development and these kind of things so there's there's lots in there um, and I think when I when I when you talk about the the camera and the impact that it has, I think there's a bit of something there for me. The hearing you talk, which is when I ask execs to sometimes capture themselves on camera, some of them have the practiced veneer quite good. You know, they can put on their camera face and perform for the camera, which is different to being just in front of the camera. And then there are those that are so fearful of it and they're not per se scared of the camera. It's almost of this being captured with a vulnerability that may go against them. And I'm just hearing a lot of, you know, a lot of things in, in what we've just, what, what you've offered to me there. So it's, um, I'm just kind of playing back what I, what I think I made of that. <laughs> People are afraid, totally terrified of what someone might see if they were to drop the story of themselves. Mm. I mean, essentially, the human condition is one of fraudulency, if that's such a word. Like, uh, it's kind of pretend, so we put up this veneer. But then that veneer becomes our personality. You know, the guy called Nick describes himself as a filmmaker, well, or a glorious ignoramus. Um, and... It, I mean, every time I film, you know, and I've done a lot of Zoom filming every day, pretty much in the last year, nearly. Um, and I was had a large group yesterday, and I had someone helping me run this thing, and I looked at the chats after, and people were just saying, yeah, but if I do that, I'm terrified of what might be seen. And that's what people are. They're terrified of being seen because mm -hmm. they can't see what it is that they really are. And the, the fact that they, they are part of it people don't feel that way so they think they're going to expose something which is going to lead to something terrible and so why not hold up the story but what i found is um the camera does the opposite to how you think it would do i mean i'm talking about my camera the soul biographies camera as such um usually a camera provokes self-consciousness with many people or bravado with other people you know the people who are good at putting up the story and are used to being on camera and they've learned how to do this stuff we all know it's not true we all like it we're all used to it and so you would think that if you put a camera really close to someone i mean really close uh, like we kind of seem now i know we're on different continents um you know, me being in America without the accent. Um, 
but you know usually I'm kind of a meter meter and a half away from someone it's close um, you would imagine that someone would become self-conscious but somehow it does the complete opposite the, it, the complete opposite everything falls away and there they are and I've made a study of why that happens I think what happens is well <laughs> it, it gets quite profound because I, I realized that part of it's in what I don't bring to it it's nothing there's no thing that I bring to it there's no requirement you know like if if uh, you and I were to film now I wouldn't need anything from you if you just sat here silently with me for the rest of this time that would be enough there's no need however no need. that is your contribution yeah it, it, it it's a contribution but it's a contribution of absence of all the things that are usually there you know that's mm. the thing is that um and and the camera acts as this kind of witness it's not exaggerating anything and i think people suddenly realize that you know often unconsciously and then there's this massive kind of oh you know, do, you think you're just, the, do you think you're the witness or the camera? Uh, no, I mean, if you, if, you, if you really want to go to what I believe is going on, I don't have a role. I, you know, I, I teach this, except I'm not teaching it. I'm showing what an innate capacity that people have for being in each other's company and realizing that you're the same, that you're part of this same thing. You know this and this experience, and what I realized after many years of of looking at this and wondering about what on earth was going on, I realized I wasn't the witness. I'm you know this guy called Nick because everything that I did would push them farther away and make me blind. And when I wasn't doing anything, I was like, well, there they were. It was just like a surrender of everything. And what I realized was the witness is is almost the atmosphere we're in. It's presence, if you like, and you know, presence is a an, an extraordinary thing. In fact, I was uh, I went I was um, I went to a a presence on conference last year. Was it last year? No, it would be the year before now. Uh, this year, last year didn't count. <laughs> we strike that from the record. So, <clears throat> kind of like last year, and I was so it was many people, you know. Uh, near on a couple of hundred people for four days and every day my job apparently was to help people be more present but I was introduced as this on stage at the beginning and I said oh no I don't I had to take the microphone back and say well no that's not the nature of presence it's not something that you do it's just there you don't you know I can't make you be more present it's not a verb it's just there we're sitting in it we're part of it I'll show you that and so we just have people line up behind the camera every day and sit in front of the camera with their images beamed on large screens, no words. And there was the experience of presence. It just caught it. There was no need to do anything. It was just there. And so I think understanding just the simplest of notions along those lines makes it very easy just to sit with someone. You know, for you to sit with a... Uh, a chief executive of a company and for a moment do nothing for a moment not try to forge ahead to reach down for some great capacity that they you know most probably have 
just as surrender. And in that moment, they have this original experience of something, you know, they might call it. They, they wouldn't be able to describe it. It is ineffable. There is no word for it. There are no words for it, which is funny, really, because ineffable is the word for um, having no words. Um, and so in that, that's not, it's not silence, it's stillness almost. And it's very simple. It's not, it's not, I don't suppose it's meditation or anything like that. It's just the absence of something. In the absence of something, you realize there is, you realize, you become aware of something. And that's an amazing thing. I have this um, phrase, which is about hummingbird moments. And, you know, the, the hummingbird's wings are going, a, whatever, a thousand miles an hour, but the hummingbird is still. And I think that's um, something that I've come to understand, which is when, you know, particularly my area of focus, which is that exec space, it's that ability to hold your agenda, which is the wings going at a thousand miles an hour. But for you to create a little... You could say bubble, you could say ecosystem, you could say experience, probably some reflection on that. But a moment of, call it connection, call it presence, call it the willingness to listen and have time with somebody without your agenda being the reason or the need for that conversation. It doesn't mean that you don't have things to talk about. It doesn't mean that you don't have things that you need to get to. But there is, I think, the art I've noticed in people that have a narrative around them of being great listeners or great storytellers or just great to be around other people that can balance the day job. Conversations need to be had and things need to be done. But contextually giving people moments of, I don't know why I told you, but I did, or, you know, I just feel as if it's something I wanted to talk to you about, or, and that's because they're capable of, well, I class as the hummingbird moments, but I, I think what I'm hearing from you is a, a description of no, no need for anything to happen, but within that space, we'll end up having a different experience of each other or a conversation that we didn't plan for. And that, that could be, that, and that's hugely valuable. I think that's what I've heard. Yeah, yeah I think so. Uh, I, I something that suddenly occurred to me is I've noticed that there's a there's a binary nature to words. So I, you know, I guess as a filmmaker and in, in my life as a filmmaker, um, words are kind of important sometimes. But the the only really important question that I ever have to ask ask myself is where do where do the words come from? And what I mean by that is words only come from one of two places. And I've noticed this having done so many years of intensely paying attention to this encounter with, this intimate encounter with people. Uh, they come from two places. They come from most of the world is full of words that are there with purpose. They are there to move the world in some way. You know, I'll tell you a story about myself, and I suppose if I'd really thought about it, I could have given you not the glorious ignoramus, but some great description of all the things that I've done that are kind of impressive. Uh, 
and you know anyone can come up with a list of that you know over a life of course you've done something impressive it doesn't really tell the story of you but most words are in the world um to move the world you know we feel insecure essentially the uh, human condition seems to be our condition is one of insecurity you know we d we feel alone really we don't, don't feel part of it and so everything's trying to move something along so i'm going to tell you this i'm going to tell you that you know and some of it's conscious some of it's unconscious so words are spoken to or at the world but then there comes a point where that's kind of forgotten and it's almost like you're being spoken and i think that's what you're talking about you know there's moments where a leader or a person is just with someone and they're just they're just speaking with each other but they're kind of being spoken in other words they've let control of the the dialogue ready go they're not they're just talking they're being spoken they're not they haven't thought these words through and say well we'll have a conversation about that because it could lead to that and there are those moments when that happens and when that when that happens when those words are un unprotected unguarded then you can see someone then you have a real sense of someone and those moments I mean, those moments are what I make my films of. Those moments where, where people they don't even know what they're saying, and that you know, it, it's uh, two of the hallmarks of the experience of what I call interview, which is the way that I film and the way that I'm with people, uh, mostly, is that people forget time. They have no sense of time. They could have been talking for an hour, and they would say four or five minutes. You know that they have no sense of time and they can't remember what they said because the words were just almost coming through someone but in that experience you see someone you absolutely see them and you feel this inexplicable warmth towards them despite the circumstance but despite the fact there are this or there are that and they seem so very different um you feel this kind of in this this connectedness with them and it's felt, it's not necessarily understood, it's just felt. And that's an extraordinary thing. And um, I think the world's probably a, well, it's a different place with that in it. And it's really utterly simple. It's just the let, letting go of control of something. Um, because it's exhausting having to control everything. Like if you're running a company and you're forever having to put up this front of strong leadership or something, it must be exhausting. I mean, just utterly fatiguing bone bone deep tiredness of having to hold up this this idea of yourself um all the time so i would imagine there's a real validity in just letting go of control and going yeah like sure we could call it vulnerability but there's an utter relief to that as well like you know it's like like a, a coming out almost of well, here I am, you know, I, I'm not, there's nothing in the way here. Um, this is how I feel about this. Um, and I think, well, my observation is that when people are like that together, it, it's just very different. And the capacity we have to do things together on behalf of all, as opposed to on behalf of yourself or your small tribe of uh, of individuals that you're looking to better um, is is an amazing thing. Mm.
I um the first video I ever saw from your um from your work, and I'm gonna say his name wrong. I can remember the pop Fel Fel Feliciano pop. You, you got it, Feliciano pop. Did yeah. I nail it? Okay. You, yeah, you kind of nailed it in a British sort of way. In a British <laughs> way, yeah, exactly, exactly. And so he would probably say Feliciano pop. Right? Yes, yeah, and it would sound one heck of a lot better um, as well. But beyond words, and I'd love you to. Uh, it, uh, well, I'm speaking to you now, and I probably saw that a decade ago. Um, I don't quite know when when it came out, but um, I'd love to hear the story behind that because I think it's indicative of why, when it came relevant that I had a podcast and I wanted to get people I wanted to speak to on it, why this much this time later that that's still in my brain. Yeah, well, it, it's testament to the fact that when you see someone. And and no, you saw it in a film. You weren't even in a room with him. Exactly. That's how extraordinarily powerful it is, energetically powerful. When someone reveals themselves, it gets caught. The energy of it gets caught in the film. Much like, uh, you know, people will still go see the Mona Lisa, you know, uh, hundreds of years after it was painted. There was something about the energy with which that was encoded into the pain. So this guy's on film. So how it came about, uh, like if I'm telling the, the real story behind it is I was at a place called MIT, uh, which I didn't even know what it was. I agreed to go and I told my wife, I was in, I had a studio in, I was in London and, um, and I went home and I said, ah, oh, this guy from this college, uh, invited me out to Boston and I'm going to shoot a film in New York so I looked on the map it's not far you know I'll take the train up or something and I said have you heard of it it's called MIT <laughs> and, and she's a Harvard graduate and she's like, you, you fool look it up so I looked it up and it's MIT apparently it's quite well known but you know to an, to an English person the college is something you go to when you're not that good <laughs> it's like university exactly. you know we're similar age and uh, so I went out there and there was this guy and he and it was the entrepreneurial forum there. And I was um, giving a, a talk on, I don't know, actually, um, my friend Simon Sinek was there. He was the one before me, actually. We were there for three days together and he spoke for the first time about his golden circles, you know, start with why thing. And I came on and was really quite provocative, I think, straight after I was going where you know, like, I, I'm not sure about this why thing. I think I think why is a state, you know, there's this never, never ending electricity to why. And I think if you answer the question, you've lost that. Anyway, so this guy runs down and he, he said, you've got to come to my country. And I went, oh, hello, I'm Nick. Like, who are you? You know, when he went, oh, my name's Edwin. And I went, what country? And he said, Guatemala. And so I ended up in Guatemala and we were looking for the soul of Guatemala. And so... Edwin and I got totally and utterly lost. Turns out he ran for president and I helped him with that as well, run for president of his country. Um, and I think that whole project was really about helping him to see beyond what you normally assume people to be. Um, and so we, you know, we were, I was out there and we were just we were wondering where the soul was and I just made a comment. I said, well, the soul's 
of everything is in every is everywhere. There's nowhere that it's not. So we don't have to even leave this pizza place. We were sitting in a pizza place. So, but we might as well. Let's just go on a journey. That's right. And and he said, look, we've got anything we want. We we got a helicopter, a plane, a, a, a SUV, a whatever. And I said, let's go take an old you know an old car or something like that, and just we'll just go get lost. And we ended up at uh, this lake at Atlanta, which is well known lake there, and we got this rickety old boat and we uh, we crossed and we went to this town this kind of villagey town I'm not sure it wasn't very big and we pulled up onto the quayside and I don't speak Spanish um, and they in that town they spoke their own language anyway but we, I managed to get Edwin to ask someone on the quayside who's the most alive person in town and they went what do you mean and Edwin goes well what do you mean and I go well tell them you know like uh, they just got kind of joy running through their veins or something like that, you know, and so we translated it and they go, oh, there's this bloke up in the hill, you know, up on the top of the town because it's on a big slope. Uh, and so we went to find him and we just kind of knocked on his door, except it wasn't a door. It's, you know, he didn't, he lived in one room. He's probably in his 80s. He'd been mayor of the town at one time. He'd been in prison, tortured in the Civil War. He'd, you know, or the circumstance, it, it was poverty really he was an artist at that time uh one room with his wife who was exactly the same as him as well actually and he said what are you doing here he said i'd love to film you and he goes okay so he just sits in front of this camera and proceeds to out himself is just and that's what you felt you know you see this guy and he's i don't know what he's saying i didn't even bother getting it translated by oh, i've never known <laughs> it doesn't matter because the way he is he mm. just kind of explodes into the world onto the screen and all you see is that of him and he's just all over the place in his straw hat and there's just life oozing out of it and he even sings in the end and he's la his laughter that's what most people it is it's unbridled there's nothing in the way and it comes from somewhere really deep and it really provokes it's yeah. just you know there's a presence to him and we recognize it um we so recognize that you're getting children in, a, in an adult yeah yeah that uncontrollable that. two-year-old that's lost the plot yeah and he's laughing but not in a there's no caricature in it there's no it, it's from him and it, that's the bit that yeah it's it's but, almost coming coming through him isn't it mm. and, and it's and it's like here he was he realized that there was this person who was willing to just sit there and see him with nothing in the way there was we couldn't even explain why i was there really um although i did you know i did I did say, look, I was looking for the Alma de Guatemala, the soul of Guatemala. And it, I suppose he had some thoughts on that or something. But in the end, he just, there he was, he wasn't showing off. You know, you can spot a show. It was just him. And he just thought, oh, my God, you know, the, someone is allowed to be like that. And, and there you go. So there's this experience. And the experience of someone like that is an extraordinary thing. I find it even in the opposite experience. Like you could have, a, I've shot some films where you've got the the experience of desolation stitched into the frames of the film. And I find that equally intoxicating, like like haunting, like you, you've witnessed someone and they're desolate, you know, like without 
resource to get better almost. It's like this might be it for to the end of time for me. And that's amazing as well. And I think there's this, you know, maybe you call it authenticity, although I think that word's kind of overused, being co-opted and perhaps a little too much. But this unbridled, nothing in the way, undefended experience of oneself. Transparency, maybe. Yeah, the, the total transparency in a case. And, and that's the art of the film, It's like, of this kind of film, of soul biographies is to just let someone free by not needing anything from them. Just, here I am, I have no question. In fact, most of the time I film, I never say a single word because it's almost like you, when you've lit the touch paper, you just stand back. You don't need to do anything. They've, they're, they're off, off to the races like Feliciano Pop. That's up on the site at the moment. It's called Beyond the Words. Um, you know, people should should just have it in the pocket on the phone. You know, when you're feeling like a little blue or like uninspired or something, you just just play the first sequence of him laughing. You know, it does something to you. It's it's an amazing thing. Probably should make a ringtone out of it actually. Um, <laughs> when the, the, when someone you really like calls, yeah, yeah, yeah. you um, or an app. You know, how can I be to be more like Feliciano Pop? Well, no, that would that would miss the point exactly. Of course, You'd, I think. Well, that's the thing. People, you know, the the trap we always so often fall into is you see someone like that and go, "Oh, yeah. I wish I could be a bit more like him." And and of course, that's not your it's your version of him, yourself as him. I guess most of what we do is imitation. Yeah, like like the way you. I was walking the dog the other day and and trying to consider this. I just suddenly th stumble on the thought and thought, God, most of most of our lives is an imitation of something. And if that's the case, because you just, in, you, you, you watched your parents, you watched everyone around you and you took on board these parts. So what's original? I mean, it may be that the imitation is, is that's the human thing. And, but I got to wondering, I haven't, I haven't got any conclusion because I didn't really have a specific question, but I was thinking, wow, you, you see something, you admire it, you try to imitate it. Um, I want to be successful like this person. I want to laugh like Feliciano Pop. I think I should be joyful. But what if it's not that? What if you can experience those things, but still there's, I don't know, this unbridled originality of yourself. In a quiet moment, you realize, you know, it's okay, as I am. I'm never going to laugh like that guy. I'm not, and it's not just because I'm English. <laughs> um, I'm not I'm not him I appreciate him and I what I really appreciate about that guy and I've of course I've filmed so many people and sat with so many people that I've seen all sorts I really appreciate the fact that there is it's just an unbridled honesty in this but I don't need to be like that I don't because there's this thread running through the whole lot which is the same and that's what I've always seen it's like wow if you know that you're part of that that's an amazing thing i have the sense that and it's my vocabulary but imitation and connection and if i see something that i value and i appreciate or i admire i might connect to that and you could say imitate but i'd save i save imitation for when i'm co-opting it because i think i should do that so i'll 
I'll imitate it. But if I connect to it, I, I have a colleague who is better at asking questions than I am. So am I imitating him? Not, not in my vernacular, um, maybe in, in the, the correct usage of the word yes, but I, I, I connect to the value that it brings and the quality of that question. So I, I want to connect that to me. But I find if I'm imitating something, it's because I feel I should to fit in or yeah. something like that. And maybe I've not thought that through fully, but that's the, <laughs> that's the kind of the, the language, the way I generally play with that, I think. Well, you'll always know because you notice you might ignore it, but you know how you feel mm. if you if you if you're with someone and they say something or describe something and you immediately you just get this sense of, yeah, that's me. That's me. You know, how you said that. That's me. Um, like I've often had that sitting with people. I just in other words, what I realized I was often sitting opposite was a, a mirror, you know, like this person reflected something of myself. Um, I'm never sure if I got a complete answer to that. So back to your first question, you know, tell us about yourself or who are you or what you do? I don't know. I don't know. But it, it doesn't seem to matter. I'm not after I'm not after answering that question. Actually, I think I know that the question who am I is a profound question asked over the ages by many terribly clever and wise people but I'm not sure it's the right question I think it's I don't know at the at the, at the danger of sounding a little rude I think it's probably quite a self-absorbed question maybe a very relevant question but I think the question of what it is it that I'm part of is probably to me it's more relevant I had a great response from somebody who said I don't know yet <laughs> which I thought was quite, I don't know, it was quite, there was an honesty in that, as in, look, I'm, yeah. I'm, 60, I'm 64 years old and I and I don't know yet. Yeah. Um, yeah, but yeah, we're, we're at these things at different times. I, and, and here's a question that may be a little left field, but um, I, I feel some of what you're saying connects to something which I have an experience of, which is, have you ever gone down that path of ayahuasca or anything along that, that that line no nope, never i've never done anything um, ah. but i've had um uh here's a, a, a wild experience so there's this very i get a call i, I was making a film at the Cirque du Soleil once and uh it's wonderful jillian who was a creative director there and uh she tells one of her friends about this encounter that i've had in montreal with her and so one of her friends calls me up and um, I didn't know she was going to call me up. I just picked up my phone because it was my phone. And we had this very long conversation and she she was telling me about how creative she was. And I, I go, well, that's really interesting, Susie. But did you ever wonder about where those ideas come from? And when you know that it's an idea worth pursuing and... I didn't hear from her for two years, and then she said, I know the answer now. And I go, well, who are you? And she told me. And so I ended up going down there. And there's a reason I'm telling you this, because we went to make a film on the nature of entrepreneurship and how you know when an idea has taken you, whether it's your idea or not. You know, there's this kind of resonance of an idea that won't leave you and you can feel it and stuff. But that's not what happened. What happened was this experience of surrender, 
through. We were just sitting there, and there was nothing to say. And she then goes through. It was just the the experience of utter stillness, really. And then her talking and realizing that her words were just irrelevant and distractions and a story. And then she just goes, I've been to Peru many, many times. I've taken ayahuasca many, many times. And this is the same. And that, you know, there is no requirement necessarily for anything like that because um the state that it takes you to you are anyway and so everything yeah. almost everything that we do uh you know uh, spiritual traditions and journeys and all these things are really just things that you do to get to a place that you always were and have always had access to because you always were so the answer is no i've never done that because I found sitting, uh, well, not, not sitting, st stillness was always that. But I've never studied anything and I've never, hardly ever read a book. And uh, I like to walk the dog and play the guitar. Or, and I like to sit with people in, like this, like with you. And just like, yeah. I don't know what we're talking about. Not really. But after, I, I will remember this because I've kind of, I've seen you. Mm. I've probably done a little bit too much talking, but that's because apparently well, I've asked you <laughs> you've asked me to. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So normally um, I wouldn't do that. Um, and the reason I offer that that ayahuasca is I went to Ecuador and did ayahuasca for a couple of weeks for a whole set of reasons, which would be my podcast and not yours. But uh, and it. It, it takes away the, well, for me, it took away the decades of the characterizations of myself, the self-representation to myself that I almost couldn't trust as who it was that when I was talking to myself was answering and what it does or the that process is allows you or allowed me to have a conversation with my true self in a in a place of total intimacy of a place of there was the answers that came back to the questions i asked i could trust because it was me that genuineness of me and not 30 40 years of stuff that had happened in between and and i hear that that way of you approaching and i offer this as an observation of you rather than you offering it as an observation of yourself having you as a conduit or a way of approaching that space because of the experience that you create and it's it's a very uh it's a similar space even though it's a very different experience i would imagine Oh yeah, just thinking about that. I mean, all one is, one can catch a glimpse of what one is part of, mm. and one cannot. You know, like, like uh, I guess the the sun's always out, the sun's always there, 
always has been but clouds come over and you say it's not there you can't see it you can't see it but it's like what we are you know this people always talk about one i'm talking about an experience of one i guess but not the idea of it the experience of it and i suppose all anything can provoke you to see that like ayahuasca sitting in front of the soul biography's camera uh, an argument with a friend uh, a dog biting you on an ankle that's random but it could do you anything has the capacity for you to see what was always there mm. anything some things are probably better suited to it like uh, the the diligence of deciding I will go and spend two weeks uh, with focus on this you know might be a really good thing as opposed to um, some cursory event um, but but I don't know so everything has this capacity to show any of us what was always there mm. and and I suppose in this journey of seeking which so many are on I mean everyone's on it in some way you know this kind of betterment you know um, you always one always thinks that there's an over there you know I would think there's an over there I've got to go south to north or north to south or east to west etc etc um, and there's this this route of progression but actually there's not that's the you know the contrarian idea in all of this is I, I guess what well, what if you were everything that there ever needed to be already I know it might not look like that but what if you were then you might be free then you might be free to do all sorts of stuff have all sorts of experience and um, to you might be free to let the experience of life find you as opposed to you always looking for the experience of life I think that in the end when I've looked over the last two decades and even before that as well um, of you know looking through a camera and just wondering about stuff but not even know what I'm wondering about what I noticed was what if ever I was seeking I realized that what I was seeking was was really trying to find me and therefore life could almost like life could be lived through me as opposed to by me and that is a different way and it's very simple and uh, th there's a place for both I guess but I know trying to live your life is quite onerous it's quite hefty it's like oh god it's exhausting you know always pushing but to have a life lived through you like a life of faith without it being about faith in anything in particular just in faith in the fact that we're well here we are um is different it doesn't mean that all the things that you thought you didn't really want like desolation and sadness or those it's not that those things don't exist it's just they one isn't so serious about them you know not that it's not serious but you can live with those as well I think as I try and put that into a space where I work on a daily basis it's something about for example there's a difference between me having a conversation with you or to you depending on my mentality and having the conversation that we need to have or the conversation that exists for us to have mm 
And that's slightly different. It's if there is a topic of just the way I feel about the quality of our relationship, I can do the conversation to you or I can have the conversation that needs to be had. Or I could have, we can have a conversation about dot, dot, dot. <laughs> and it's that willingness to do that sometimes. Yeah. And it suddenly occurred to me that we've, you know, we'd launch straight off. It's a podcast, you know, that this is what we do. We fill the words and we launch straight off into this conversation and it's going here and there and, and we get glimpses of this and that. And yeah, I can't really remember what we've been talking about. Um, when I make film, when I do this experience called interview, which is essentially this experience of seeing someone, it never starts from that. It always starts from nothing. So, for example, you know, I'm 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 really taken by the name of your podcast because I think bravery and living with bravery is is an extraordinary thing when you really think about it. There's a there's a way that you know, we might articulate bravery, but I think there's something underneath that, like a real courageousness. Mm. And if I were to film you, for example, there'll be so many obvious questions to ask, but I would never go, I wouldn't go there first. I might not even go there at all. I would just say, well, why don't we just sit here? I don't know, for however long it takes. I don't mind, you know, that, uh, Time's not a thing that, you know, you're not on the clock. This is not a press interview or an interview looking to convince everyone that living a brave life would be a good thing. Um, that's not for me to say. Why don't we just sit here until words find us, until words find you, and then you'd sit and you'd probably think, oh, I wonder what I should say. And then there would just be this kind of equanimity, almost. Equanimity being another description of peace. In other words, well, here we are. And in that, in that, suddenly it occurs to you to start to talk. And you might, I don't know, <laughs> it would be you, but it's like, yeah, I've been thinking about this bravery. I think it might not be the right word. Or I think it might be the exact right word, but I've been looking just in the wrong place. So you, and then you're somewhere interesting, and it's like words are taking you. They're taking hold of you. They found you. You know, like you weren't looking for the answer to something. You weren't doing anything. Everything was being done to you. That's an amazing experience. Mm. And and in it, there you are. I feel I feel that, and I think there's something to be. I, I, I and you may not want to hear this word, but I, I do admire, you know, the, the the way that you've come at this, and the admiration isn't one of um, worship; it's one of just respect for the 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 way that you've approached that. Call it a body of work, or the way that you just want to be. Um, I think is is important and i think back to imitation rather than connection <laughs> you know connection rather than imitation it's not about imitating but it's about recognizing maybe what it is that within the movies that you create 
or allowed to live in the world, what that what that can do to anybody that watches them, I think. And so I would I would encourage people to definitely connect with your work with no intent other than seeing where that takes them. And I think uh, that's that's something that it's very hard, I think, to watch the work that you create and for it to not do something, uh, you know, as yet unknown. But it, it is powerful enough and the, the human beings in it are real enough that there's something there for people to have a relationship with whatever that whatever that might be definitely yeah, well, here's the predicament with that guy um the predicament of the work that i make is the fact that they're made in this almost intense state of attention you know the, the opposite way to the way we normally are so it would kind of make sense that that's the way one should consume them see them but that is a challenge because most people would watch the film and so you know that i mean they really are <laughs> when you look at them you go well they're kind of dull because it's just high contrast black and white as you know uh, that's all you see there's just one shot there was a joke in hollywood at one time someone i used to do some work down there and um and people were joking and said, couldn't you put like special effects or an explosion or something to just make it a little bit more exciting? And I said, yeah, but they're not, they're, these aren't entertainment or distraction as you make them. You know, these, this is facing you with something. And what they take is, I mean, the normal way to watch something like this, and someone would watch it and go, oh, I like the look of that person, you know, him or her. Or, um, yeah, I, I've heard, I've got a friend who had a similar story, if there was a story. Um, or I wonder what's in it for me. You know, I'm going to keep my attention out here to see if there's something useful in this. That's not paying attention. That's, that's you're doing something. That's how we experience the world. We're, we're processing it to try and extract something of use to us. Mm. To pay attention in the way that these have been made and the way that they would be useful is to let the experience of this person wash over you or wash through you almost. Have it mean nothing just experience it and then it will reveal something to you and that but therein lies the challenge of an entire life you know that to be present to an entire life you, if you're always looking with an eye on over there you know i wonder what this can give me so that i can become something you miss almost the entire the the contextual richness of a life the depth of a life you miss it because you've got your eye on over there. Um, and so they're a challenge to watch, but when they catch you by surprise, like Feliciano Pop, as you were talking about, like people can very welcome to go to, was it soulbiographies.com and look in the library and there's a bloke who looks like he's laughing with a straw hat on. You can see him in the library, click on him. It's, it's not very long. I mean, the films are usually anywhere between a minute and 10 minutes i think he's probably four minutes or something of just unbridled pop <laughs> well, I, I would encourage people to listen with headphones as well to these things uh not not that it should stop them from not but um i think it does make a difference and i, I look at that feliciano pop video and i and i think you know i watched it not knowing what it was 
so I had no intention. I had no, I mean, I probably did watch it at first, like anybody with, when somebody says, watch this, why am I, what am I watching it for? But I, having watched it X amount of times, I think there is an element of, I didn't try and extract learning from it, but it had, it, it added, it added to the things that I know it, you know, it, it said the human being is in there. There's, there's a, there's an understanding of that person that goes beyond me needing comprehension and, and, and maybe that, and also I'm 51, I'm, you know, a decade later from having watched it or whenever it was that I did watch it. It's maybe it's like reading a poem, you know, that same video, means something different to you or that thing that you wrote it's it's still what it is but my con my relationship with it has maybe moved on because i have you know and i think that's the sign of good work and and, and maybe these things don't have to be fixed learning points they 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 can mean different things to you at different times and they do yeah so in in terms of where your focus is just looking into the future is it continuing on this route and with an unknown set of possible sort of uh, journeys that come off or no i actually have a big project or a big plan or where, where are you as you look forward nick oh, totally nightly lost i don't know <laughs> um in a good way and a bad way you know i i'm I suppose the way of, I mean, I've got some big projects and I've got this Soul of America thing. I was shooting a bunch of people with a camera, obviously, um, looking for the Soul of America. There's this kind of deep yearning from people as everyone really doesn't matter which side of this political spectrum one is. Um, you know, I think Rumi once wrote beyond the, the fields of right and wrong. There's a place I'll meet you there. And that's really what I'm talking about, that place beyond right and wrong. There's a place of this inextricable connectedness. And I thought it'd be useful to to show people that. So I've got things like that going on. Um, but really, the underlying current of this is I'm I'm being drawn whether I want to or not towards this to what I've been talking about this you know the experience that maybe ayahuasca gives one just there's this simplicity in an utter stillness and the camera has a part to play in it I think with me anyway um, and there's this one overarching thing that I've noticed and that is we belong without any condition and I just seem to be being drawn towards the experience of that and and I suppose pointing to the experience of that, not the idea of it, but the experience that doesn't need to be understood. And and so I no matter which way I turn, it just seems to keep coming back to that, which is in one way is infuriating because it's totally and utterly uncontrollable. You, there is no sense of control. Whenever you try to put something around it, it slips out of your arms. It's like, damn, you know, uh, it would be great to be able to, to, to know where it's going, and I don't, and that's its nature. And so the underlying current is that. And it's like, damn, why, why was it that? Why couldn't I have been, you know, a rugby player or, a, well, I was, but didn't, you know, or, or a, 
a, a this or a that. And so in the end, uh, the glorious ignoramus is probably a pretty de description of it and it might move to something else. But I don't know is the answer really to your to question. Just more of, you know, the way of it is we're lost and that's great. L let, let it find us. What? Let what? Let life find us. Um, I wrote a poem called The Tree of Dreams which is very, it points to this way. In fact, I'll read, read it as, a, as an out. I'll just, I'll just find it. Um. <laughs> I, I blacked myself out. It's a yeah. creative trick. Yeah, no, no, it's not a creative trick. But, the, but the, this, um, uh, oh dear. this, I know. Well, well, this is, you know, this is your podcast. You can do what you want. You can, uh, I might I might put an image up of you up on the blank bits. Oh really? Oh, <laughs> uh, okay. Well, you could do that. It's, uh, luckily, everything I write and everything I make in film is is always short, so this only has a few sentences. But it speaks to the way of it, um, and it's called the Tree of Dreams. And I wrote it a long time ago. Uh, I just I usually write. It's like taking dictation ready. So suddenly an idea just appears in my head. So I usually have to pull over or stop the dog walk or something like that and tap it out on my phone. That's on my iPhone. That's mm. where I usually write. Um, and so I just wrote this in. And then maybe a decade later, I realised quite how important it was to the way of this, the way of, that we've been talking about, or I've been talking about anyway. And so it's called the Tree of Dreams. And this is this is how it go goes. The Tree of Dreams. Many had gathered under the Tree of Dreams. All but one stood shaking its branches for dreams to fall. Dreams that had been whispered to them by the voices of others. Dreams that would fade with time. But one sat quietly, waiting for a dream to recognise his soul and to consume him with no doubt. That's it. And I, I think the the important part is, you know, there's this there's this possibility, you know, or what, what we normally do is we look out at the world and we construct a life of the things that we see, if you like, we're imitating in a good way sometimes, you know, I'm inspired by this person, I'm inspired by that event, I'd like to do some of that. But we're, we've, we've gone out to find our life, you know, and, can, and, and make it as best we can to become something. But there's this character, which is, you know, metaphorically just a possibility within all of us to sit quietly and wait for a dream, you know, a life to recognize us and consume us with no doubt. I know this is, at this moment, this is what is to be done by me, through me. And I think that possibility kind of exists all the time. Mm. Would you be prepared to read that again, but without turning the lens off. Sure, okay. Um, okay, I'll, I'll even read, okay. Thank you. I'll just put it so that... Uh... Okay, so this, this one is called The, the Tree of Dreams. Uh, the Tree of Dreams. Many had gathered under the Tree of Dreams. All but one stood shaking its branches for dreams to fall. Dreams that had been whispered to them by the voices of others. 
dreams that would fade with time. But one sat quietly waiting for a dream to recognize her soul and to consume her with no doubt. Thank you. It'd be great if I could remember what I'd written, well. but <laughs> but I can't. I, I can't remember the first line of. Oh, sometimes the first line, but never more than that of anything. Knowing, ever wrote. knowing where you've stored, it's the second most important thing. Yeah, yeah, I know that Einstein story. Do you remember that one? No. Oh, right. Well, some some smart-ass reporter was trying to catch the the cleverest man in the world out in front of the international press and said, "Mr. Einstein." Uh, do you know your home telephone number? And he said, no. <laughs> and, and like everyone was laughing, he said, but I know where to find it. <laughs> so, That's the yeah. Thing. yeah. So listen, Nick, I'm going to bring us to a close just out of um, probably necessity for uh, just timings rather than my desire to. But I just want to say thank you on a very personal note for your investment of time in a in a conversation that um and i've been blessed with people that have been very genuine on these um conversations but I, I've, I've truly um i've truly enjoyed it and and i've got huge value from it and uh I'll, i will press stop in a moment we'll just continue for a few moments but just from me to you and i'm sure from people listening thank you so much for coming on the episode thank you my, my pleasure it's almost as if we we cut out the middleman and what i mean is that people always crave conversations that can just happen with no particular purpose you know just let's just get lost in it and 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 i think the pattern is well i'll get there when i'm finally you know like when i retire or when i uh you know when i've got these things done then i can do that um, so to do stuff really without purpose is is a wonderful thing. So it's like cutting out the middleman. You know, we didn't have to do all those things. That's what it feels like. So it's been a pleasure. Fantastic. That's it. So I hope you enjoyed the episode. Please share so others get to hear about us and subscribe so you keep up to date on new episodes. Also visit livingbrave.com if you want to connect with me and find out more about executive coaching, team effectiveness and changing culture. Oh, and of course you can buy my book Living Brave Leadership on Amazon. So on that note, see you soon.